Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Well, welcome to episode 11 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your fabulous co-hosts. Today's episode, we're going to go through five steps for planning for sustained teleworking after COVID-19. And we have a very special guest here with us today, Ryan Sager. Uh, You may recognize his voice because he was on another recent podcast with us. Uh, And he is one of our esteemed transportation planners here at Modern Mobility Partners. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Ryan, last time we had you on the show, we discussed steps to preparing a grant application. So today we're going to switch gears and talk about some of the impacts of the pandemic because nobody's talked about the pandemic enough, (laughs) specifically planning for transportation when more and more people are working from home. So specifically, you're going to walk us through five steps to planning for potentially sustained increases in teleworking after COVID-19. So I know for us here at MMP, uh, teleworking has been a major component of our work life for the last uh, two years. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was March 13th of 2020, Jen, the co-founder and I of Modern Mobility Partners, we decided, okay, that's it. We're just going to have to go full-time teleworking. And I remember saying to her, if it is like, cause, cause the kids were home virtually, um, going to school. And I remember saying to Jen, if we are teleworking a month from now, just kill me. <laughs> and here we are two years later. <laughs> and you're still with us. And I'm still with us. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we've been a hundred percent ever since, you know, we almost came back in June and then the surge, you know, there's the, Omicron variant surge. And so we decided, nope, that's not going to work. So we went ahead and stayed at home. And, you know, every now and then we come into the office if we have a, a group collaboration meeting, you know, or what have you. But that's like once every few months we may come in. I mean, it's crickets around there. Yeah. And I think that's the case for um, a lot of people. And, you know, I think today's episode, we're not going to be talking about, you know, the impacts to your work environment from working from home, but how do we as planners forecast what's going to happen in the future and make recommendations for transportation improvements that are going to respond to these changing needs? So um, I'm really excited about today's episode. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the, you know, probably, well, the only silver lining that I can, well, there's probably more, but one of the silver linings of COVID-19 is that companies have been forced to, you know, speed up the amount of teleworking that they allow, you know, sooner rather than later, uh, recognizing that it can be done. It can be done well if done the right way, right? So as a result, as you mentioned, that impacts the transportation infrastructure. So I don't know about you guys, but when, you know, in April of 2020, Whenever we started co-working, there wasn't a car on the road. Do y'all remember that? It was like, I was like, this is not Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, I guess I do, but like, I wasn't going anywhere. 
that too, right? Yeah, on the rare occasion. So I didn't even I didn't even know what traffic was like. Like I went out and I picked up my groceries where they loaded them into the back of my car. Mm-hmm. I did all my online shopping. Yeah, and I don't think I went anywhere for like two months. And you know that's another good point because in addition to teleworking. A lot more people are doing their shopping online now than they were before. We had a whole podcast around that. I think it was episode three where we talked about increased e-commerce. And as a result, there's less passenger vehicles out on the road, but there's more trucks. So how do we account for all that, right? So with that said, you know, we just want to talk a little bit about the history of teleworking before the pandemic. And, you know, we can we'll talk about here in Atlanta first where we're based. You know, in 2019, the Atlanta Regional Commission did their annual regional commuter survey and they found that 40 percent of commuters were teleworking. Now, that doesn't mean they were teleworking full time. Right. So 11 percent of those teleworked five days a week. 20% teleworked at least once a week, okay? So this was an 80% increase in teleworkers since 2007, all right? So big jump in teleworking from 2007 to 2019, pre-pandemic, all right? Then they ran the survey again in May of 2020, so two, three months into the pandemic. 61% of commuters were working from home five days a week. So remember, it was 11% five days a week before, Now it's 61%. So it went up, you know, significantly. And then 10% were working four days a week from home on top of that. So only 21% of workers never worked from home during that time. Unsurprisingly, 70% of commuters said they would be interested in continuing their work from home arrangement, some or all the time moving forward post COVID-19. And so that's what we're talking about here today. We know that these, this exact landscape may not be the same going forward, but it's a lot closer to this in the future than it was pre, pre-pandemic. pre So on a national scale, according to the 2018 American Community Survey, from 2005 to 2018, teleworking grew by 173%. And so that accounted for 3.6% of the entire U.S. workforce. Okay. And it was also found that 39% of employees had the opportunity to work from home one or more days a week in the U.S. prior to the pandemic, okay? So again, that's 3.6% of everybody in the U.S. teleworked prior to uh, the pandemic. So a large increase, a large reason for the increases um, from 2005 to 2018 really stems from two factors. One is from 2000 to 2020, those adults who use the internet rose from 50% to 93%. And those who had internet at home rose from 1% to 77%. Okay, so notably, you know, that is a huge increase. And and the largest reason for both factors not being higher stemmed from the over 65 population. So if we could just pause there for a minute, because my mom, and I'm not going to say her exact age because she might kill me, but that also assumes that she listens to this podcast and I'm not sure she does. <laughs> Seriously. Like she listened to I the guarantee trailer. You my parents do not. <laughs> yeah. She listened to the trailer last year, a season one, and that was it. And she still did like before that trailer, she didn't even know what I did for a living. <laughs> she never understood. <laughs> so I said, just go listen to the season one trailer. So that's why she did it, because it was only 12 minutes long. So, so anyway, back to her. So my mom, okay, well, she's in her 70s. 
And so she's in that greater than 65 population. So here we are, 2022. And my kids and I were just down in Florida visiting her. And my nine-year-old son actually, so this, this gives some perspective. My nine-year-old son installed software on her laptop so that he could remote into her laptop and provide her IT support from Atlanta to show her how to do things and to fix her computer when needed. And he also recorded how-to videos of how to do things, doing screen recordings, and saved those on her machine. And also had to record a video on how to find those. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I hire your son? I, 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 need, so, I need some IT support. So, so she told her friends about this. And so now, so now they're all like, oh, we should use them for IT support. So I told my son, Okay, you need to build a resume for later down the college and you tell them that you provided IT support services voluntarily for the elderly community. <laughs> That's what I told him. So he's on it. So anyway, the reason why I bring that up is that, you know, there's still, although there's increased usage of, you know, computers and, and, and the internet, obviously, for those the 65 and over population, it still lags behind the, the younger population, but you know, as we plan for the years, you know, 2050, which is a lot of what us transportation planners have to plan for when we're looking at long range planning, 2040, 2045, 2050, and even beyond sometimes, those people will have aged out. Everyone's going to be used to the internet. And my nine-year-old son, 15 to 20 years from now, is going to be in the workforce. And he's not going to think, he's going to be like, go into the office. What? I can do this all remotely, right? So it's going to be an even different environment. And then we have to plan for that, you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now. So it's it's an interesting phenomenon. We'll all be the old people and there'll be some other technology that we don't know how to use. I know. Well, and we'll be enlisting children. <laughs> my son already tells me I'm one of the old people. What are you talking about, Kirsten? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, telecommuting or teleworking, you know, has been a, a prominent transportation demand management strategy, especially here in Atlanta. And when we say transportation demand management, we mean a strategy um, to try to get drive alone, people that drive alone well, reduced. So less people driving alone, more people carpooling, teleworking, you know, maybe it's extending, you're changing the um, hours of the day they work so they're not in peak hour traffic, that type thing. So teleworking's always been a, a strong strategy, but getting companies um, to buy into it was always a challenge. And so I think with COVID-19, that significantly um, helped. So, you know, and in the in the Georgia Commute Options Program that the Atlanta Regional Commission here in Atlanta leads, that's their transportation demand management program. And in 2019, it said that more than 600,000 commuters were, were teleworking as their preferred commute option. So, yeah. So, I mean, teleworking, telecommuting has been around for a while. It's been pretty successful in Atlanta and it's been a strategy under these uh, under the Georgia Compute Options, but I don't think anybody was anticipating the spike that we saw. And there have been several challenges, at least in transportation planning, that come along with this teleworking uh, trend. So there's a few cities in the U.S. as well as several countries that have these havens for digital nomads. And what I mean by that is we're referring to workers who no longer have an office. They're permanently remote and they either live in foreign countries or states where the cost of living might be cheaper to reduce their expenditures or they're living in places where they want to live 
Uh, for example, I have some friends, both of them are digital nomads. Um, they don't have a home office to go to, so they work remotely 100% of the time. So they moved down to the beach and now live at the beach and have a boat and live on the water. And I'm actually quite jealous. I know. Must be nice. I know. <laughs> but, you know, cities have actually set up for this. And some of those include Austin in Texas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places, if you want to go live in Tulsa, uh, Topeka, Kansas, and Shoals, Alabama. I think about Shoals, Alabama. There was a lot of uh, 70s rock and yeah. blues mm-hmm. that was recorded in in uh, in Shoals, Alabama. Anyway, side note. Yeah, may, yeah. Never mind. I'm thinking of <laughs> Nutbush City Limits from Tina Turner, but that's yes. not that's not Shoals, Alabama, is it? <laughs> um, Nutbush. Okay, anyways, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it, uh, also, you know, there there are other countries that are setting setting up these digital nomads, like Costa Rica, Malaysia, Croatia. And they've av- actually advertised visas aimed at digital nomads. But what this means for other areas is that they could be losing population uh, for these digital nomad areas. They may be gaining population. So in areas where cost of living is cheaper, they may be seeing increases in um, in people moving there and higher cost of living, maybe seeing people move out if they don't have to uh, go to an office in that location. And, you know, one of one of the challenges is the data on these changing travel modes and these migration patterns can be really difficult to monitor because surveys like we've talked about aren't done on a regular basis. Like the census doesn't do their surveys all that frequently. These commuter surveys are kind of up to whatever agency ARC is pretty good about doing them annually. But it's it's hard to stay on top of the data unless there's a dedicated resource to specifically tracking telework patterns, migration patterns, and so on and so forth. The other challenge is that we don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, like you said, Kelly, company policies have been changing. Mm-hmm. People are getting used to working from home. People like working from home. And do we know that it's it's really going to be permanent or... Will the tide change again at some point and everybody goes back to the office like it was for decades? So there's there's a lot of unknowns and that makes it really difficult for us planners to figure out what to plan for. You know, do we no longer plan for additional capacity? Do we think that overall transportation is vehicular transportation in particular is going to maintain or reduce in some cities, in which case we no longer need to widen highways. And what about excess capacity? What do we do if we have a highway that's been widened, but we're not using it? Can we, should we convert that into another purpose? Can it be a permanent repurposing? Do we have to leave it flexible if we need the capacity again in the future? Like there's a a lot of questions that it's really hard to get the answers to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with that said, there are implications to the general public, you know, above and beyond just the infrastructure itself and how congested it is. You know, I mentioned earlier that prior to the pandemic nationally, there was about three and a half percent people um, telecommuting nationwide during the pandemic. Seventy one percent of all Americans worked from home. 
And 54% said all Americans wanted to continue this trend. So if more than half the people want to continue this trend, there are a lot of implications. So one, shift in jobs. So, you know, there was this, what we call the big quit, you know, that ended up in the U.S. in 2021, just last year. We're recording now in February 22. And almost 4 million workers quit their jobs each month. Okay, due to a number of factors, and one of which was companies trying to force employees back into the office when they did not want to go for whatever reason. So, Ryan, do you know anybody that was a part of the big quit, like anybody that was trying to be forced to go back? And so they just said, no, nah, I'll find something else. A lot. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah. one of my best friends, he, uh, him and his wife were both fully remote. Um, they were having fun living in New York City during the pandemic. And then his wife's company said, we want you to come back into the office. And the office was in Seattle. And oh, they wow. were planning on moving to Miami. And <laughs> they just went all over the place. Seattle, New no. York, Miami. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. The, the week that she was supposed to go back, she said, nope. And that was wow. it. And she found a new job that was fully remote. And they're still traveling. So yeah, I think... Um, it's a dangerous game, you know. Are you willing to lose certain people if they don't want to come back? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's interesting. And you know, you made a good point there. You know, any a lot of other companies out there will let you work one hundred percent remote. So if they do quit, they'll be able to find something else out there. So yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I don't know if I know anybody personally that quit because they were forced to be going back, but I remember watching like LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. All through 2021 and the amount of job changes oh, I know. that I've seen over the past year, year and a half has been astounding. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, there was some report that I got on LinkedIn at the end of the year that tells you how many of your connections change jobs. And it was like, surprisingly, it was like 40 or 50 percent. Wow. I was like, good God. Yeah. So, um, OK. So anyway. <clears throat> Work-life balance is another um, implication for the public. You know, people are, you know, workers are prioritizing their work-life balance more and they're able to do that in most cases a little more with teleworking, depending on how you look uh, look at it. You know, you free up your time from long commutes that you may have had before. But then, you know, there are folks, myself included, that, you know, teleworking at home just ends up bleeding into the whole 24-hour day. So that's a whole nother <laughs> discussion. But that's my fault. No one else's but my own. So and then the freedom to choose, you know, where you want to live, just to what Ryan was just talking about a minute ago. I mean, if you think about it, you can live in a lot of de- even if you say, so let's say that you have to live in the same city as your job, but you only have to go in one day a week. Right. Teleworking the other four days and then driving into work, let's say, and maybe you have to drive an hour. But if you only have to do that one day a week, it's not so bad than if you had to do it every day. And so, you know, that's going to have a big impact on where people choose to live. And then, you know, what happens to the people that may be moving further out where it's cheaper to live, they have longer commutes. But then also now those places that were cheaper to live, but further away, didn't have as much traffic. Well, maybe even with increased teleworking, do they have more traffic there? So, you know, it's. There's pros and cons throughout. Depends on where you're at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we didn't move all that far, but we moved in March of 2020. 
uh, <laughs> right as everything was shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, but we moved to where we are now to cut our commute time by like it was going to it was going to cut it by like 15, 20 minutes, which was um, about a third of our commute. And so we we did we we moved closer so that we'd be closer to work. And then yeah. we've been working from home ever since. Now, I love it. I still love our location and I'm glad mm-hmm. we did it. But had I been working from home previously all the time, uh, we may not have made that move at that time. Yeah, I I was in a similar boat. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, too, with this is there's so many different things we can get into and you can read about it. But, um, you know, for my sister, she's talking about the fact that she saves so much money by working from home and not having to put the kids in daycare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she yeah. saved well over $10,000 Oh, yeah, that's like college tuition, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's a great benefit to her. Um, yeah. And then I've read that other people, they don't even have daycares because so many daycares don't have workers. So yeah, I think there's all these other impacts to it that are affecting people's decisions. But, um, yeah, if you can save money, why not? Yeah. I totally saved money. It wasn't through childcare. It was, I don't go to the bar anymore. (laughs) 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 I do all my drinking at home. (laughs) With that box of wine, And I don't have to pay for Ubers. (laughs) (laughs) Those boxes of wine just keep on coming, don't they? They do. (laughs) Let me tell you, when I take up to the Razor Cycling Center, that is, I get looks. (laughs) Uh, I've never heard of someone getting side eye at the recycling center. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, enough about my um, extracurricular activities. Um, so, what is our role as transportation planners? You know, I talked about some of the challenges, but I think there are some things that we can do to help us plan for the future. And one of them is help agencies. Uh, track and understand the changes in mode shifts as a result of this increased teleworking. We can also develop scenarios, future scenarios, and policies that reimagine the future. So if we're tracking the travel trends, we can elicit policies focused on education, outreach, and mode of travel to shape the future of the region. Examples of teleworking policy can be implemented, implementing broadband, in um, all infrastructure to promote teleworking. And, you know, there's other future scenarios and policies that that we can think about. We can also refocus transportation demand management efforts. And these efforts can help metropolitan planning organizations and regions sponsor those programs like Georgia Commute Options that encourage employers to continue to allow their employees to telework post-COVID. A lot of times these programs include tax credits for businesses and other benefits to the employer that really encourage them to enable teleworking long term. And the last thing, well, we're going to get into five steps, but the last thing that I'll say as our role is we can start considering the impacts of increased teleworking on the transportation infrastructure. Like I talked about, what does that mean for increased capacity? or decreased capacity, or these changing travel patterns, or, you know, more people are going outside for their exercise and recreation rather than going to gyms. So what does that mean for our bicycle and pedestrian planning and infrastructure? What does this mean for maintenance needs of roads and bridges? If we don't have as much vehicular traffic, 
do we need to be maintaining them at the frequency that we were pre-pandemic? So again, a lot, a lot of things to consider. And I'm looking forward to getting into the five steps that Ryan's going to present to us. Yeah. And, and Ryan, I'm just curious before you start your five steps. And I know people are like, good God, it's 25 minutes in. They haven't even got to the five steps yet, but we're almost there, folks. 30 more seconds. I'm just curious. Like, I know you've been working at home for two years now, like the, like the rest of us, but you know, how have you enjoyed it? Do you like working at home? What do you think you, you'll want to do in the future? Yeah. This is a funny thing. Um, the first year was amazing. As you probably know, I was all over the place. I drove to California and I drove all the way back and then I did it again. And then I drove to Maine and I just kept going on the six, four week trips. And, um, I, I, I worked and then I go hiking in the afternoon or I, I go visit an old friend that I hadn't seen since college. Um, and then that got old. I actually, <laughs> I actually got tired of it. I you was got like, tired man, of I don't... seeing your friends. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh man, I really don't want to. Oh, I can't sit in a car for another ten hours. So it, it was fun. I think it was, there was a fun break, and I I kind of do miss going to the office a little bit. I wouldn't mind going once or twice a week. I do miss that personal interaction, actually getting to know yeah. my coworkers and putting a face to people. There, there's definitely that that lack of human interaction that starts to. Uh, Touch to dwell on you after you've been at home for this long. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I do like having that flexibility, but I, I'm starting to miss that that adult interaction. And I, I have noticed that the days that I go into the office, I'm able to make a cleaner break when I get home, you know? And so it's like, okay, my work's done for the day. Now I'm focusing on the kids and, and you know, myself and, and all that stuff. And, you know, so... So having that clear demarcation of, you know, that work-life balance for me, it's easier when I go into the office. Um, but I don't want to go every day, right? You know, maybe I'll go back once or twice a week at most. Yeah, I, I would concur with everything that y'all are saying. I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've done, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of keeping that clean break of having the quitting time. And then instead of commuting home, going and taking the dog for an hour long walk instead kind of that transition. Oh, that's good. So, I, I mean, we've, <laughs> we've we've really we've really enjoyed it. I eat healthier. That's 100%. Uh I've saved money like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to drive very often and I've gotten out and been able to walk a lot more than I used to. So, Yeah. Yeah. Something to be said for that. Yeah. Okay, so that was more than 30 seconds. Um, so we'll let you go ahead and get started, Ryan, on your five steps. Yeah. So we're just going to jump in. Five steps to planning for potentially sustained increases in teleworking after COVID-19. If it ever what ends. What a title. Dot, dot, dot. Step one, develop trend analyses and mode shift dashboards. So, you know, the First step in here is really like, what data do you even have? Um, in order to track the changes and who is working from home, you got to have data and you got to use that data to create trends um, to be established. And this can be done through, you know, creating a dashboard um, that track trip taken by each mode and the values being used to estimate um, who's working from home, who's biking, is it going up, is it going down over time? And the data can be found 
multiple sources. Um, probably the most common one would be the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, the American Community Survey. Um, there's also the Maryland Transportation Institute web-based platform, which is Regional Integrated Transportation Information System, RITUS. Um, and then, of course, you can also have your local MPO or city might have some data sources from surveys they do, like we mentioned before, the Atlanta Regional Commission um, does their own yearly regional travel survey. So to give an example of an organization that's doing this already, there's the Waco Metropolitan Planning Organization, which they've been using the RITUS platform to quantify changes in travel patterns. The RITUS program is using probe data, which is readily available real-time data that provides yearly changes in the travel patterns, and it can be used to understand the travel trends today impacting future transportation projects. And for all you who work for public agencies or um, state agencies, most agencies, I believe, are able to get access to this for free. If you are a consultant, um, you need to be on a project with a, a government agency that already has access to the RITUS database. So you won't just be able to jump on without that um, qualifications. Uh, so, Brian, I have a question. Um, so what if you want to track these trends, but you don't know how to create some fancy dashboard? Like, I know we <laughs> want to make it easy to understand, and easy to digest. Yeah. And, you know, we've made dashboards here at MMP and Microsoft Power BI or Tableau. And they're great. They, they pull in data automatically and they update on their own. But not everybody has that budget or staff that has the knowledge of the how-to. So, you know, really simply, you can just make one in Excel. Just make a table with your data tracking the modes of transportation and the shares of employees utilizing each mode year over year. And then you can create what I would prefer, a bar graph. Um, and you can just kind of track each year or you could make pie charts. But either way, I think these are pretty good. Everybody should be able to have access to them and then make them colorful, put them in a PowerPoint, and everyone should get the picture pretty fast. Yeah, I think the messaging is real important, right? Like, if you come in and you're able to say, okay, you know, prior to the pandemic, 3.5% people were commuting, teleworking. During the pandemic, you know, 70-something percent. Post-pandemic, you know, let's say it's knock on wood, you know, 2022 or 2023, I don't want to jinx anything, but, you know, you're able to say, okay, now it's at, you know, 40% or 30% or whatever. And, and we're not seeing a, you know, a continued decrease. It's, it's stabilizing or it's staying up or it's increasing. To be able to show that, that's really going to help with figuring out where to invest money, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and the biggest problem I'm seeing right now is just there's so many factors at play in this data. And as we said, like, if you're not tracking it yearly or you don't have a RITUS that's real time um, every day, it's going to be really hard to create a trend. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's even funnier, too, as you've probably seen in the news, you know, in t late 2020 company were saying, we're going back to the office. The next thing you know, <laughs> they change. And then 2021, yeah. you have companies saying, we're going back to the office. And they changed. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you keep getting this, like, even if you are in, you know, you got business leaders in your community that are great with working with you, even they probably can't even tell you yeah. what they're yeah. going to be doing in the next six months, let alone a year or two years. So exactly. Yeah. Going to be difficult. So that leads us to step two, survey and engage employers on their plans for the future. So trends continuing into the future can be difficult to determine, uh, especially with COVID-19 still being a major part of everyday life. 
With businesses and governments still continuously shifting their teleworking policies and lockdowns coming at unknown times, it can be beneficial to form working expert group with business leaders and government agencies to get insights into how teleworking will be handled moving forward. This can be anything, you know, meetings that are one-off workshops. You can have online surveys of your business community, uh, recurring community meetings with any of the expert groups. And you can just have open discussions on teleworking for those future times. Uh, the meetings can be surveys uh, that you put out to anyone. I'd also say with this, you know, you can. it doesn't have to be a business. You can look at maybe you have a great university in your city and they've got some professors on economics or transportation. That'd be great to include. And I'm sure they'd love to be part of those meetings. Um, and you could also just have members of the community as well, any community organizations that want to be part. Yeah. And I think I would just add that, you know, from the business owner standpoint, you know, it's kind of like we were just saying a minute ago in step one that people don't know what they're going to be doing six to 12 months from now. And then we say, okay, we want you to ask them what they're going to be doing six to 12 months from now. Right. And I guess my point to be made is that if there's a survey that's done of different by a survey with employers participating, or roundtable discussions or workshops where the employers come to the table to talk through these things. I may not know going into it what the plan is, but I may come out of it feeling a lot better about, okay, this might be what we're going to do. And and so I think business owners would be interested in getting with other business owners to figuring out, okay, what are what are some things that we can plan for? And and that'll help the conversation. So yeah, yeah. kind of like that. Uh, kind of like that. Surveys for salaries that go out. You know, businesses like to know what everyone else is paying everybody else, so that way, that's why they you participate. <laughs> yeah, right. That yeah, and you have to participate to get access to the survey. You see? There you go. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Coming soon, the MMP survey on teleworking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. So step three, focus on equity when considering transportation investments. Um, a lot of teleworking jobs are available to computer-based jobs. Therefore, it's remember to ensure the equity and planning, which can help focus funds on transportation improvements to the population that might still be required to work uh, in person. This can be done by looking at demographic changes within your region and creating equity performance measures that award projects that are improving transportation for those communities. We talked about this in episode four before, which incorporated equity into transportation planning. And for the data on this information, you can also find that through the U.S. Census Bureau, looking at either the American Community Survey or census data at the block level, um, whichever you want to analyze to help develop trends in these changes. And and I'll just add that one thought is if you're trying to figure out what your upset limit is for your region on you know what teleworking percentages there could be. You know, you could take a look at your current employer makeup. And let's say if your city has a high percentage of manufacturing jobs, for instance, those folks likely will not be telecommuting. And so, you know, if you're, if you're 30%, I'm just making up numbers, but if you're 30, 40%, you know, jobs that can't, can't telework, then you know that you're not going to go above 50, 60%, you know, and then, and then you also, to your point about equity, you do need to make sure you're still planning for and providing mobility options for those that don't have the ability to telework for whatever reason. So, yeah, you don't want your roads to go into disrepair and be like, eh, 
only 40% of the people are going to work. They can deal with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, looking looking at your region and, and seeing which are your highest industries, healthcare, obviously mm-hmm. a lot of that's in person, education, educators are in person, um, emergency response, you know, retail, grocery stores, restaurants, service industry, hospitality. Yeah. And and we know that proportion of jobs will change over time. You know, there's going to be more computer-based jobs in the future, but that's how you can kind of plan for like some phased increases, right? It's not going to be overnight. So, yeah. Yeah. So that leads us to step four, increased transportation demand management efforts. I like to call this be the change you want to see. You yourself, your agency, your company don't have to be passive. You can influence the future of teleworking through transportation demand management efforts. MPOs, cities, DOTs are able to sponsor TDM programs, transportation management programs, that encourage employers to continue to allow workers to telework post-COVID. In some cases, legislation may need to be passed. But programs such as tax credits for businesses that enable teleworking or education program to encourage businesses to adopt teleworking on even or odd days of the week or every other week um, to reduce congestion are feasible programs. And they have been implemented at some other MPOs around the United States. So this includes, as I said, be the change you want to see looking at your own agency. Perhaps your agency does not currently have any teleworking policies uh, or your company doesn't have any, you can start to reach out to HR or whoever might be at the top and just start nudging them a little bit and saying, hey, let's implement our own teleworking program and start reaping the benefits of that. And and can I just say, if the feds or a state came down, but particularly the feds, came down and said, okay, we're now issuing tax credits or incentives for employers that allow X person of teleworking, that's a game changer. You know, I mean, that is a game changer. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, something where that ever happened, you know, there was this, you know, we talk a lot about in other episodes that just released before these about um, the new Infrastructure Act, IIJA, Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act. But there was so much money put into that and desperately needed. But I wonder if there's a thought down the road of providing some incentives as well to re- to increase teleworking and thus reduce, you know, the need to have to spend so much on maintaining and expanding capacity for our infrastructure. I think that's a much further down the road thing, um, but just it'll be interesting to see if something like that were to shake out. Yeah. And I think there's challenges associated with that, sure. too. And and it may be, you know, part of the reason why they haven't done it before, because the ripple effect of that is if everybody's teleworking, then people aren't going out to lunch and supporting True. those restaurants. Yes. They're not running as many errands during the day or yeah. meeting up for drinks after work or um, needing daycare. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's yeah. other ripple effects to the economy. Yeah. Uh, that that we really need to account for with these trends and the overall, you know, impact for the region. Someone used to always tell me that traffic means you have a good economy. Yep. Yep. Well said. I had an old principal. He he made a point about that <laughs> once. He's he goes, you know, Disney World is packed. The lines are long. You spend hours waiting in line, and Disney World doesn't care. That's great for them. That that's great. That means so much money. But he goes, 
But if I-85 has bumper-to-bumper traffic, people complain, but they shouldn't because that's great for the DOT. That means it's being <laughs> maximized to every dollar that's been spent. And I was like, man, this has changed my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good return on investment. <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's why it's there. So that leads us to step five, develop alternative scenarios. Um, since planning for the future isn't guaranteed, you're going to plan for multiple alternative scenarios that can enable an agency to forecast potential on how transportation will look with various levels of teleworking. And these plans can be useful in determining how funds should be spent, focusing on what corridors that need to be found essential for all future scenarios. Maybe those corridors feed large portions of your population that work in manufacturing or healthcare or education, and we'll have people that have a less chance of working from home. One way to see the impact of the different teleworking levels is to create models with in your travel demand model, and that can evaluate the reduced trip generation for select households, uh, potentially matching the model of your mode shifts from that U.S. census data that you've been pooling. So you can kind of just get an idea of what's going to happen if, say, 20% of people continue working from home five years from now. Or what if 50% of everyone is working from home right, 10 yeah. years from now? And you can have those models and say, okay, you know, this is what we're, if that's the case, then this needs to be the transportation investment. And if it's lower or higher, then these scenarios would need to be enacted. Right, right. I feel like you can do that in the project prioritization process, too. Right. Like, so you can see what the different shifts are. But I wonder if you put weights on different evaluation categories, if you think your teleworking percentage is going to be higher or lower. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely yeah. a potential. Yeah. So, like, to your point earlier, Kirsten, you'd said that, you know, if there's more teleworking, there might be more of a need for bicycle and pedestrian facilities for people, you know, so they can get out of the house, exercise, et cetera. So maybe for a teleworking scenario, you put more weight on projects that improve the bicycle and pedestrian network. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. So does that wrap up our five steps? I think it does. So, you know, mm-hmm. so let's see. Step one was track the data. So you can kind of show before and after and understand the trends. Let's see here. Step two was, you know, survey and engage the employers to understand what their plans may be for the future and help help begin that conversation or continue it. Step three is really make sure you don't forget about equity and providing uh, mobility options for those that can't telework. Step four is increase your transportation demand management efforts. And step five is develop alternative scenarios. So question, Ryan, what do you think is probably the most challenging aspect of teleworking? There's so many. (laughs) And it it really depends on who you ask. Um, For me, it's been communication. It's funny, uh, a staff member at MMP, actually, at one point, I had sent them a text over Teams um, in the chat box. And later they said, Hey, I hope you're not mad at me. <laughs> I should, I, I, I don't I know don't who this is, by the way. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what happened? And I looked back and I was like, Oh, I guess you could, I guess you don't have that, that body language behind it. And so I guess right. it could have come off as being, you know, where is this? And I was like, Oh no, that's not what I meant at all. So um, I had to call them and apologize and be like, sorry, that was not the tone of my text at all. But I also do feel 
not sorry in a way, but for those starting out their careers, um, some of the best learning opportunities that I had was being able to go into someone's office and having that person explain to me yeah, side by side what we were doing or showing me the calculations or red penning things and explaining why it's being red penned right, and right. doing it over video. Like it's just not as easy for me to teach others how to do that same thing. Um, yeah. That has been really hard for me. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and and that's kind of one of the the reasons, too, that I think about, you know, at some point we want to have folks start going back one, maybe two days a week is so that our more junior staff do get that training that they so deserve. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, MMP, we have several new employees. I know other companies are the same way and finding ways to connect with your employees or as a younger person connecting with who you hope will be mentors, I think has been a big challenge. And I, and I think that um, it takes some extra effort to ensure that you're making those connections. And I, I would say one of my biggest challenges, and it kind of goes hand in hand with having being able to build opportunities with those within your organization is I feel like because I don't have a commute anymore or because I'm not traveling from one meeting to another and have that drive time, like the expectations of how many meetings you can have in a day. <laughs> That's true. God. Like I, I, I feel like I, I don't know where the expectation came from or if we did this to ourselves but I just feel like people have this expectation and I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily you, Kelly. I'm just saying in general. Of course not. No, no. But in general, you know, people feel like you can get 150 percent more done because now you're not traveling to meetings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's put a lot of stress on people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, of trying to yeah. maintain this expectation of, well, I'm working from home. And so I need to be putting out, you know, a, a hundred, more than 110%, you know? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. interesting. And I also found it interesting that your comment about like those networking opportunities. It's, I remember early in my career, um, all the young staff, all the junior staff, every Wednesday, we would go to this bar across the street and we would, Stay there from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Oh, every wow. Wednesday. But you you oh develop those. You remember you develop those connections with those people, that and you have true. such fond memories. And it wasn't just us. We had people from the California state government. We had people from the city. We had people from the DOT that would join us. And like, I still have interactions with those people, even though I haven't worked with them in like five years now. And I think about now and I'm like, man, I haven't been to a, a YPT, an ITE, an APA or any other young organization, happy hour or anything. And I don't even know a lot of people anymore because I just don't have these opportunities to meet them. So, yes, good point. Ryan, I think you should start a weekly standing happy hour for <laughs> our staff. And, um, you know, they can come or not, but it's it's available. You know, you could even host it at your house. <laughs> just I, I'm kidding. just going to say I'm, I'm not old, 
But I am old. I do not, You're older. I do not feel like I did back then. You're older. <laughs> yes, yes, I hear you. Well, okay. Yep. Last last question before we wrap up. Yep. So we talked about what we think are the challenging aspects of teleworking, but Ryan, what do you think is the most challenging when planning for a sustained increase in teleworking? Yeah. Um there's a lot, you know, and I, I, I know this podcast is focused on transportation and as Kirsten pointed out before, you know, downtown businesses are hurting. They've lost lots of money from the lunch crowd and They've lost money from the happy hours. Um, transit agencies are hurting. They've lost ridership, massive amounts of ridership. There's all sorts of industries that are like just disappearing because dry cleaning, daycare, it's just you lose that money. And then if you've heard before, there's the loneliness epidemic. That's been increasing a lot through the pandemic. So there's so many elements of this, but keeping at the transportation level, you know, we really just don't know where people are going to live. In the future, people are going to start moving farther and farther away from cities, maybe, because why live in the city anymore if I can live on this cheap plotted land that's an hour away? And so you're going to have to plan a lot of variety of scenarios to invest in the transportation infrastructure going to meet these scenarios. I do remember there was a study they were doing in Salt Lake City where they were doing scenarios like this, and they were planning for what happens if people start moving farther away from Salt Lake City? What happens when they go farther south, farther east, yeah. farther west, farther north? And you're going to have to start development that areas. But those regions were so far away from Salt Lake City, it was like, why are they even looking at this? And it's like, well, because people can work from anywhere now, and yeah. <laughs> they don't have a reason to live in the city yeah. and deal with all this stuff. So yeah, the game's changed. I feel mm -hmm. like uh, like when I hear about people moving further out, and I, I totally get it, but I'm like, everything I learned in planning school was like anti-sprawl. Like, yeah. don't let the sprawl happen. And now I just feel like we're like, eh, yeah. it's happening. It's yeah. inevitable. I might as well just plan for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in. As a friendly reminder for you nationally certified planners out there, we are an AICP, American Institute of Certified Planners, continuing maintenance credit provider. And this podcast is eligible for credits, uh, as well as all of our other podcasts. So you can go to the American Planning Association's website at www.planning.org and just do a search in the AICP CM log for Modern Mobility Partners, and you'll see all of our episodes. Um, and so you'll be able to get a credit, a full credit for today's episode. If you want to learn more about how Modern Mobility Partners can help you, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe and even better review our podcast. You can find us on any of your podcast listening apps. Over and out. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.